who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Thank you, Josh Levine. This is Nimesh Patel. You're listening to Rebel Radio. Fuck you, Josh. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Tina Butterwolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh-huh. Rebel Radio is going down. Would you say Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio. And welcome to our first show of 2021. I know last year, 2020, was tough for a lot of people. And I'm so happy to see that all of last year's problems have been solved. 2021 is off to a smooth start, and obviously it's going to be a great year. Let's kick off our first interview today with Nimesh Patel. Nimesh is a great comedian. I follow him on YouTube, on TikTok. Um, you could check out his album on Spotify. Head Nimesh in charge is probably not just on Spotify. Um, it's a great record. Nimesh was the first Indian writer ever at Saturday Night Live. He was a writer for Chris Rock on the Oscars, for Hassan Minaj at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Um, he's got some great stories about, you know, uh, becoming his own man after all of those, all that background in writing and what it was like sort of transitioning to, to doing his own thing. Um, we talk about drugs and electronic music. We talk about comedy, parodies and tributes. We talk about learning from failure. He has a really cool uh, trick in his shows. I don't know if it's a trick exactly, but he has really, really cool something he does where he, he does a lot of crowd work. He talks to the crowd. He asks them questions, but he always tells them, hey, I don't really care what your answer is. This is just a setup for a joke. And uh, what's cool about that is, you know, it makes people laugh. It takes the pressure off. It's actually not entirely true. If you if you watch his comedy and you see that he might have a joke in there somewhere, but he is digging into it with people. But, you know, I love the um, the the tone that that sets of really taking the pressure off himself and his audience. And you can you can kind of feel the energy shift. Um, maybe you can use that in your presentations and your in whatever you're doing in business um, in your in your difficult conversations at home. There's probably a way to take some of the pressure off and uh, and let the flow happen. Anyway, let's get into our interview with Nimesh Patel. I think that's true, but I'm also like, well, I'm a journalist. This dude is running his mouth saying some crazy ass shit. Like, how am I supposed to just ignore that? 
yeah, and yeah, let yeah. it die down, right? Like that's not our human nature. Our human nature is somebody says some garbage, you want to you want to call them out, talk shit. But yeah, 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 yeah. It's a balance. Um, it's it's. I think the is the balance is how serious can you take somebody versus uh, uh, how insignificant is a person with three subscribers saying. <laughs> You don't know how to do comedy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, of course. All right, man. Thank you. Of course. Thank you. Uh, right on. Well, that's not what I'm here to talk about. I, you know, I want to, I want to, uh, you know, we talk about music and culture and comedy is part of that. And just, you know, your journey and whatever, whatever feels good we can get into. Uh -huh. Um, but I've been, I've been, like I said, I've been digging your comedy. I just listened to the album. I actually didn't know you had an album out. Yeah, yeah, that um, was a sleeper. Um, I think it's the greatest comedy album I've ever put out. But uh, it's the, it, I, I like it a lot, I, I just objectively, uh, as married I, as I am to it. Um, objectively, I just like the structure of it and the flow of it all. And, and the jokes are pretty good, I think so. But thank you. I appreciate it. No, nah, um, I thought it was great. And, I, and I'll say it. So, you know, Head Knee Mesh in Charge is the album. Yes. For everybody listening, go check it out. Um, thank you. But like for me, I mean, yeah, I, th I thought it was great, but also it reminded me of, you know, my childhood when I used to listen to comedy records and I still uh -huh. have, you know, my, my Eddie Murphy's, my, uh, Bill Cosby records, my Richard Pryor albums, whatever. And that feels like, and I, maybe they're still coming out and, and I, and I just don't know it, but like, mm -hmm. it's a different experience listening to a comedy album than it is watching some shit on YouTube or, or Netflix or whatever, like. To me, not oh, yeah. having the visual actually add something. Yeah, because you kind of imagine it, and part of you is just like, "Wait, why is everyone laughing?" That like right. Pryor is so physical. Mm -hmm. You know, when you listen to some of Pryor stuff, you're like, "Fuck, I wish I could see the face he was making," because uh, you know the face or the action he's doing is just killer. But it adds a different uh, if because you can picture stuff differently. You know, and it it, uh, it definitely adds an element to it. Um, and it feels like you're just there by yourself almost. Right. Which is cool. You know, them blank starter pistols. I busted into the office with this motherfucker in my All right, give me the money, motherfucker. <laughs> Doing my best black shit, you know. <laughs> you know, that shit usually scare Whitey to death. And these motherfuckers didn't do nothing. And I'm sure that those men are sitting in that room today laughing. Yeah, and I, and I think maybe the jokes have to work a little harder because you don't have the visual to go with it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it really, you know, it benefits comics who are really strong writers mm -hmm. and i think i'm a very strong writer um so if you're actually listening to what i'm saying you're like oh fuck that shit's hilarious you know um and, and that i like very much about the the purely audio medium of it all yeah no doubt no doubt so i want to talk a little bit about how you got started um but even before comedy i know you're into music you talk about hip-hop um mm -hmm. a lot in in some of your jokes and on stage uh do you remember the first record you ever bought First record I ever bought, uh, it was it was one of two albums. It was either Dragon's Flame On, I think that was the name of the album, or okay. or Usher's first single, um, You Make Me Wanna. Mm. 
I think that was, I think they came around the same time. I might have bought them at the same time. I remember those record stores in Parsippany, New Jersey, and I've just bought these two. I think I may have bought them at the same time, mm-hmm. but uh, I think that was when Usher just uh, uh, broke through, like mm-hmm. with that first hit single. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, Drag On was DMX's like protege as part of the Rough Riders. And I remember his rap style was just like so fast and obliterating. I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Drag on. And I was like, God damn, I had to I had to buy that too. Hey yo, I split these bars to make your head shake. Fuck bitches to the bed break. Let's see how much lead you can take. Never let a nigga pay for what I give away. We can all share. Clips of my waist. but yeah, I, those are the first two that really I can remember. I know I bought them. I just don't remember if they were the first ones. Um, but they feel they're the first ones I remember buying. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are those are two good starts. Funny, Dragon is so <laughs> so obscure. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but it's a good place to start. And then, did you ever? Were you ever trying to make music? No, I mean, I would always like. Uh, I was super into Michael Jackson, and mm. uh, um, I mean, as a as a kid, maybe when I was like ten or eleven, my cousins and with us, eight of us who like grew up together, eight first cousins who kind of grew up together, and mm-hmm. the five older ones of us, like we like pretty much spent the most time at our grandparents' house together. And my cousins, my uncle bought my cousin a drum set. And so when we were like 10 or 11 or so, so then like four or five of us would pretend to like string music together and and play together and sing and dance and shit. But uh, uh, it never really, obviously didn't really go anywhere. Um, And then I always liked like writing parody bullshit, mm. uh, parody songs and stuff. Like Weird Al was always like, "Man, that's just hilarious." So I could do that shit. Um, For sure. And uh, uh, I, I'm not musically talented. Like I can't sing or play an instrument, but I do have the ability to like write rhymes mm-hmm. um, and, and write just funny shit. So last summer. I guess it's like I mean, if you listen to the full album, if you listen to track, I want to say twenty-seven, uh, a track twenty-six or twenty-seven of the album is is the beginning of like uh, the the B sides for the album, mm-hmm. and the last, the track twenty-six and track twenty-seven, uh, if you listen to the very end of them, I hid two parody songs um each each song has a each album each track has a a parody song hidden at the end Mm -hmm. and that was like the beginning of me putting out uh, a full-on music album of parody songs that i had a friend of mine super talented producer produce and then uh i had met one of the servers at the cellar was is this guy named armin who's like an incredible singer um and he and i were friends just from like uh, me being at the cell all the time and shit and uh i tapped him to help sing and rap on a bunch of stuff that i couldn't do and then my friend mateo lane very talented comic on his own right um sang for like two or three songs um but i wrote like everything uh with uh steve with um, uh, armin and will's help and uh that was probably the most musical thing i've done um just like writing all those songs to like parody everybody and that's on youtube it's called platinum fatalities um mm. 
and I just did like 12 or 13 tracks of uh, uh, parody shit. And then I have uh, an original song coming out that my friend Will and I constructed because um, I'm really into EDM music. Okay. Uh, I, I got into EDM music recently and uh, I thought it'd be funny to write a funny uh, uh, original EDM song about the drugs that you do while you're uh, likely listening to EDM music. And that's hidden at the end of Patel 2020, um, the special, the half hour special that I just put up. I think everybody I know is trying to get a better night's sleep. It seems like sleep is always the first thing to suffer if we have something going on with our bodies or we got a lot on our minds or whatever it is. I, I know I'm no good if I didn't get a good night's sleep the night before. So I'm excited to welcome Helix Sleep to the show. I'm starting the new year with a new bed. Maybe you should too. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete online, matches your body type and your sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. My wife and I took the quiz and it turns out we both like to sleep the same way. We sleep on our sides. We like a medium uh, mattress. So we got matched with the Helix Midnight Lux. And I gotta tell you, it's the best mattress I've ever owned. I'm falling asleep faster, staying asleep longer, waking up more refreshed than ever before. So if you're looking for a mattress, take the quiz. You order the mattress that you're matched to and the mattress comes right to your door shipped for free. Just go to helixsleep.com slash rebelradio, take their two-minute sleep quiz. They'll match you to a customized mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, so you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but I'm sure you will. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash rebelradio. Go check it out now. So how'd you get into EDM music? Uh, doing drugs. Uh, my friend, my, my friends. Uh, uh, well, I mean, I would listen to it to study when I was younger. You know, like Darude, Standstorm, and shit. But I never really understood uh, the whole uh, genre. Sure. Um, I still, I still don't know the entire genre. I just know what I know. But um, uh, uh, like a few years ago, my friends were doing Molly, and I tried it for the first time. I was like, this is incredible. And, uh, you know, you, you, Molly's not done at like a hip hop concert. It's done um, when you're listening to like Rufus to Soul or right. um, some other these other EDM DJs. And I was like, this is amazing. And so whenever whenever I'm doing Molly, um, it's easy as an EDM concert. And uh, that's how I kind of got into it and, uh, and stayed like now I'm not on Molly all the time listening to EDM music. But when I'm listening to EDM music, like. I, I've fallen to, I've come to like EDM music ex Molly. You know, it's just like good mm -hmm. uh, um, brainwave grabbing stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so that's, how, that's, it's a weird, circuitous route to liking what like millions of people like, but you know, whatever, whatever works. I mean, I think that's pretty common though. I think, you know, people, you know, somehow or another, you get dragged to a rave. And there's music and there's drugs and that's just as part of the culture, you know, and yeah, even, yeah. even it's funny because, you know, I've, uh, you know, hopefully I'm not spilling anybody's business, but, you know, you see Puffy hanging out at, you know, backstage at Ultra, whatever, you know, uh -huh. I know Dre was like, there's rumors, you know, he's messing with Molly for a minute and like, it's uh -huh. just, you know, they, they kind of 
they go together. Like you say, you're not going to really put on gangster rap and be all, you know, ecstasy yeah, yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, it's become more and more part of the culture now. You know, I mean, Future's yeah. got a bunch of songs about doing Molly. Like, For sure. Everyone's everyone's talking about, everyone's done it, and everyone knows how great it is. And now it's even being studied for uh, uh, use in, like, depression treatment yeah, and stuff, yeah, yeah. which is interesting. So um that's that's why i do molly you know uh uh it's just that's how i came to like it and uh uh the music rather and i kind of regret not being uh i, I don't know if i regret it because i don't know what i would have done if i had discovered molly in my 20s but um uh you know when my friends were going to like ultra and governor's ball and all that shit i didn't go mm -hmm. i don't i kind of like damn I, I, those shits would have been dope um but now, you know, if they come around again, uh, I'll definitely be there. Sure. As like the old 35-year-old in the corner. <laughs> just, <laughs> just laughing at 20-year-olds I mean, passing out. There's a few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely I don't mind being one. I guess. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just sunglasses. Even when I go to parties now, like, uh, like I'll just be in the middle of everybody, but just like by myself, just like mm. listening to music and just like vibing out. It's fun. That's funny. Yeah. Um. So, you know, one of the things I've notice i mean you you're very prolific you got a lot of projects happening um trying to be yeah you Thank know you. writing behind the scenes plus you know your specials and and all that is there what um tell me about how you got started writing and like what what does it take to get good at writing jokes because you write i mean i know you wrote for snl you write for other people uh -huh. as well as your own yeah i mean how i started writing in general uh, I, I think back to like when I was in fourth or fifth grade, I took like, uh, my mom signed me up for Johns Hopkins university distance learning program. Um, which is, I guess like some, you know, money-making scheme for the school. Uh, uh, I mean, maybe they knew about virtual learning was coming. It, yeah. Yeah. No, it was all letters, um, and, uh, mail, uh, mm. but it was, oh, wow. Um, it was, uh, uh, my first, like my first dip into writing above my level. I mean, I, even like my grandparents were English teachers in India. And so, uh, uh, I've always had like a strong English background. You know, I grew up watching Jeopardy and mm -hmm. Wheel of Fortune and all that with my grandparents. Um, and then, you know, fourth, fifth grade, I guess like I had a, a early, early noticed talent to write stuff and word choice and all that and so my mom signed me up for this thing i remember having fun with it um i i always enjoyed writing people always told me i was a good writer like even essays and you know all the school shit um and then junior year of college freshman year of college i remember thinking i was going to be a doctor but I, I start i discovered this doctor named richard selzer who wrote a bunch of essays about being a physician i was like oh this is fucking dope mm. Um, this is really cool. Tim O'Brien, who wrote the things we, the things they carried, really like that essay. Um, uh, uh, really impacted a lot of my subconsciously or consciously like, impacted my writing choices. And then, you know, when I started comedy, I never, I it wasn't even clear to me that a lot of it was writing. You know, it. it it doesn't, it's not articulated that this is a heavy writing thing until you start doing it. And you're sure. like, oh shit, I got to write all the time. Um, 
and to that end, I was writing constantly. Um, when I first started, I was just like writing just whatever I thought down and try to make it funny on stage. Um, and yeah, that's kind of ebbed and flowed. Like I'll go through now, I'll go through uh, big writing uh, phases and then I'll go through culling phases and I'll go through organizing phases where I'll be like, oh, okay, I feel like I've, my brain is empty. I got to organize all this shit. Um, and, and I'm sorry, it's such a long answer to your, to your short question. Yeah, that's okay. Um, uh, but that's kind of like the, it's, it's evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, like my personal writing stuff, how did I start writing for other people? It's just like, you know, when I don't really write for other people, you know, when I, when people say I've written for other people, it's more just like, like I wrote for the Oscars for Chris, but you know, Chris did everything. Right. Um, I, I wrote on SNL. Um, I submitted jokes basically, you know, like I, I was there for a year and I just gave, you know, you just write a bunch of jokes and if they like them, they like them kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but that's different. I imagine than writing something that you're going to go up on stage and, and deliver yourself. Yeah. I mean, at, at some point at the show and at some point at, you know, in comedy in general, like my voice is at least for me pretty defined or at least it's like i at least right now where it's at like i'm good at articulating my own stuff mm-hmm. um and the so when you're writing for someone else i mean even writing for at the oscars for chris it was like trying to find what you what i would say but saying it in his voice you know and that's that's a different skill set mm-hmm. man I, I counted at least 15 black people on that montage <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm here at the Academy Awards, uh, otherwise known as the uh, White People's Choice Awards. Uh, you realize if they nominated host, I wouldn't even get this job. Um, and, you know, working with Hassan and uh, on the White House Correspondence Center and the, and the Congressional Correspondence Center, same thing. It was like, these are the jokes I would make. Um, now you figure out what part of the joke mm-hmm. works for you and figure out how you would say it. You know, at some point that, that becomes the, uh, uh, um, distinction, you know, like if you're writing for Fallon or Seth or someone, um, you know, you, I, I've never written for those shows, but I think you are more likely adept at writing directly in their voice. Right. Sure. Sure. Whereas when, when I've written for people like Chris or Hassan, um, uh it's like these are the jokes i would say mm-hmm. um now you take whatever you want from that you know what i mean and then you know randomly it'd be like i've got the perfect joke that would sound perfect if chris said it or perfect joke that would sound perfect if Hassan said it and then you say those two and then you know they like them they like them they don't they don't but mm-hmm. in general it's more just like these are my thoughts uh this is the joke that i would think of now you figure out how you would say it and if it's how you would say it then that's how you say it if not then you know take what you want yeah um make it your own uh i know in the in the album you talk about at the end you talk about like uh you know at one point you got started in comedy but you were still working a day job or you were still pursuing a different Uh career was was there was there like a moment when you decided or or realized that comedy was going to be your your path well, I, I was, it's funny you asked that. I was thinking about it last night. Um, it, there's probably a few that I can identify. And uh, uh, if I 
think even harder. I'm sure there's a lot more signs from the universe. I should have just been doing comedy, but uh, you know, the, the clearest one was in 2015. I was working as uh, associate as an associate in private equity. Mm. Um, my capacity was in private equity, but technically it was a family office um, where we were looking at investing in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. And that summer of 2015, uh, my like my the CEO of the firm resigned, and I was like, "Oh shit, what am I gonna do for work? Like, I have it too good at this job where I'm making you know decent money." Um, but I'm still, I have a great work-life balance where I can still do comedy at any time I want. Um, now this job is coming to an end. I basically have like five or six months to figure shit out, mm -hmm. but there's no way I will get the same job because my job as an associate, the way I'd carved it out, this firm would not exist anywhere else, right. um, where I would have the same work-life balance and shit. And so that summer I was like, fuck, what am I going to do? And that was September or July and August of 2019. And that August, uh, I used to run a show called Broken Comedy. And Chris came to that show to see Langston Kerman. And uh, Chris was late, so you know Langston couldn't go up. And then once I heard Chris was coming, I was like, I'm going up. Um, uh, uh, and Chris saw me. And told me I was funny. I was like, "Oh shit, okay." Uh, you know, my job might be ending, but you know, I, I just got. You know, Chris told me I was funny. And then three months later, uh, in November of 2016, 15 shit, five years ago, um, I got an email saying, "Hey, Chris wants you to write for the Oscars." I was like, "Oh my fucking god, that's fucking bananas!" And then January 31st of 2016 was when my job officially ended i was officially laid off january 30th or whatever of 2016 february 4th or whatever i was on a plane to la to write for the oscars so it was just like like perfect timing almost um and then you know after that i thought i would have every writing job in the world you know i'd just been vouched for by the greatest comic to ever exist mm -hmm. and uh uh personally hired by him um to write for the biggest you know the only the third time a black person's ever hosted the oscars or whatever it was um i thought i would be you know comedy royalty and uh uh once february ended it was it was like oh okay i guess it was just back to being nobodies at least i was and i was like fuck what am i gonna do i started looking for a job again um copywriting or whatever and everyone's like you need a portfolio i'm like i was just at the oscars here's the picture of me in a, <laughs> in a tuxedo <laughs> at least your firm can say you hired a guy that wrote for the oscars for sure. but uh uh that didn't happen um that april hudson hired me to write for the congressional correspondence dinner which was his first um sort of breakout big deal kind of thing that's like the grooming role for the white house correspondence dinner and uh uh wrote for that so that kept me a little afloat for like april may and i was back on the job hunt and then uh that september i was like fuck i gotta find a job because no writing work was coming in you know, i didn't have a spec script or anything that was up to par to get me staffed or anything like that and uh i wrote for um aquafina's go 90 show mm -hmm. uh, she used to have a talk show on go 90 
Um, and it was like me and um, uh, this woman named Tina who hired me and, and one other person, uh, Shamika, I believe, and, and Nora Aquafina. And the, it was like the four of us writing for that show. And that, that was like the last, that was the thing that said, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to hang up my uh, uh, finance resume and, and just tried this whole comedy shit out and um, comedy writing and comedy stand up and all that stuff. And I passed at the cellar that summer too. So mm-hmm. when you pass at the cellar initially, um, uh, if you're good uh, enough, you will get a lot of spots, you know, just to like w- welcome you to the club and, and get you up to speed with everything. And so, stand up plus the right small writing work that was trickling and like kept me afloat enough such that i was like you know what if i'm not like i'm not like balling insane or anything i'm not balling at all but i can pay rent and eat and uh that should be enough for a little bit um and hopefully you know hopefully things pick up and uh that december my friend and i sold the show 10 tv2 which is like pennies um but even that was like man i just sold a fucking show this has been a banner goddamn year and i was like no fuck it. <laughs> i'm gonna just do i'm gonna just do comedy um and that's like the that 2016 was like the, the definitive year of me saying all right fuck it i can't do finance anymore you know mm-hmm. i stay I'll, I'll just stay in comedy and, and hope for the best and uh uh, it's been a long three years, <laughs> uh, but here we are. Yeah. So you know, it seems like success, especially I think in entertainment, is like mm-hmm. is a lot about just grinding, right? Being willing to, you know, go through the ups and downs to get shit on, to bomb on stage, to, uh, you know, to, just to like face those obstacles and keep going. Yeah. And I think, you know, there there's some of that in other areas of life, but you know, you talk about your finance job, like most people don't go through it like that. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful and it sounds like bullshit, but you know, I'm grateful for the stuff that I've lived through. Um, and I'd say this, you know, in hindsight, obviously, um, cause I, I made, I made it through, yeah. um, and regardless, like, that's the only thing that keeps me going through stuff that I, would go- I am and would be going through now, you know, yeah. it's just like, I already went through this. Hopefully I can get through this. Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. you know, there's no kind of going back to the world of finance that is so secure. Um, and you know, I, I, feel like I'm, I saw in what you messaged me about, you know, talking about entrepreneurship, it, it it's, the, it, you know, you comedy's never stand up at least is never, or at least I've never heard it really spoken about as a very entrepreneurial endeavor. Um, and part of entrepreneurship uh, comes with failing constantly, mm-hmm. you know, it's like just constantly failing and, and making sure you can learn from those failures and, and hopefully not being destroyed by them, you know, like, and not necessarily destroy that you give up, but like your whole approach to shit changes. Right. If you if you went through something, you didn't know how to necessarily handle it. And that approach could misguide you for two years until you fuck up again and realize you've been fucking up this whole time. I mean, do this again, you know, like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but no one tells you any of that. There's no stand up, you know, entrepreneurial coach, you know, there's no stand up CEO that you could emulate or follow. It's like, 
Right. You know, I got Mamba mentality and Lee Kuan Yew's, you know, Prime Minister of Singapore's book and, you know, a bunch of other stuff. I'm like, okay, what can I, what can I glean from this that will help me uh, in comedy? And, uh, um, so what helps? That's what uh, I've been trying to learn, you know? What helps? Maybe not now. But, you know, when you're, when you're in it like that and really, you know, like I said, failing constantly and just keeping going, like, what do you, what do you lean on to, to keep pushing? Uh, friends, family will always pick you up or, you know, they may not even know what is in your head, um, but they'll be the, a very welcome respite from whatever's going on, um, even if you're not telling them what's going on in your head. But in addition to that, it's like uh, uh, Chris telling me I was funny mm-hmm. uh, really cared me a lot. Um, friends and friends who gave me jobs and they didn't have to because um, they uh, uh, saw something in whatever I was doing. Yeah. Um, uh, Chris, again, gave me tons of work um, just because he believed in my comedy and, and me as a comic. Uh, you know, like I, I got to open for him. Uh, you know, he flew a bunch of us out to help him. Just like, just let us hear when he was working on tambourine. Um, you know, a few of us were on set when he did the week of, uh, just to, like help punch up, but really just to hang out over the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so it's like stuff like that. Like, I've just been more and more aware of looking looking for signs from the universe that things are going to be okay um and you know you talk to p diddy it's like it's always darkest before the dawn (laughs) and so that's really that's really all it is it's just like i just and i really have no other option at this point like i don't know what the fuck i would do Mm -hmm. short of like going get my mba and and uh uh even that would be a fucking massive uphill battle who wants that much debt right now of course uh, um, so, you know, I really don't have a choice, but to make it and whatever make it is. So, so does it ever, does it ever get easier? It comes and goes the easiness of it all, you know, like even in August, I was like, man, things are going to be fine. And now it's November. I'm like, oh shit. Like the YouTube is it, it youtube like it goes like this you know mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. it could fizzle out and then spike and just like fuck what this variant this variability is fucking bananas you know but it's like it gets easier in the sense you know what you have to do um but uh, uh i haven't relaxed in like three years um since after snl um i haven't but that's like really when i was just fully on my own to do everything i had to do right has, so. has there been a, like, have you gone out and made just bought, just, you know, bought something stupid because you felt oh, like, yeah, yeah like oh, what's, yeah, yeah, what's yeah, the first thing sure. you bought that was just like a dumb purchase because you had the money? <laughs> I mean, while I was at SNL, I don't regret any of the purchases that I made because I, I mean, granted I was making money, um, and, and but I really enjoyed uh, you know, have going to the after parties and having my cousins come out and just like buying all the dinner and drinks and all that shit. And then uh that i don't regret at all there's definitely uh uh clothing purchases i'm like what the fuck? who needed 400 sneakers <laughs> you know it's like i didn't need to do it but stuff sure. like that I, when i got the, the, the day i got the job i went to kith which uh-huh. is down the street from me of course and and uh i bought 
a $400 pair of Y3 ninja sneakers and they're so fly they look incredible but why the fuck did i do that <laughs> i mean i think kith exists for 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 people in those moments yeah yeah, yeah. Like, oh man i fucking made it <laughs> let me get these they should, sneakers. they should they should send you a text when they know you're closing the deal yeah they really should they should be Pull aware up. of uh uh their demo I'm like oh we just you know they should be monitoring my my chats for congratulate congratulatory <laughs> text <laughs> oh we saw you got a congratulations uh we've got this new uh y3 slide that you should check out <laughs> All right, definitely um so one of the things yeah, i like I'll, about your comedy is like you talk about i mean obviously you talk about your your heritage uh but you know there's some I think some comics like that's kind of all they talk about, right? Yeah. Is you know, they have like the one topic, like they talk about sex or they talk about you know their ethnicity or they talk and and you kind of like you know or they or they talk politics. You kind of cover a wide range of topics. Yeah. What's up, you wet ass pussies? <laughs> that's the only thing I came to DC to say. What's up, you wet-ass pussies? It's my favorite phrase of 2020. What a wonderful phrase. It means no worries <laughs> for the rest of your days. Is that, um, is that on purpose? Is there an upside or downside to that? You know, uh, the things I've talked about has kind of evolved um, with what I perceived the taste of audiences and industry to be, you know, mm. um, and, and, you know, that, that's not a source of regret. It's more just like uh, a lesson I've learned is like, why well, I don't give a shit about what anyone else wants to hear. I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about. Um, uh, when I started, I was like the fir very first set I did, I was talking politics because like Chris Rock, Chris was a huge influence um, in the sense of like, he was probably one of the first, He, I think he was the first, comedy special i saw mm. uh, bigger and blacker on hbo if it wasn't that it was dana carvey's uh, special where he talks about chopping broccoli okay. um uh it was one of those two but i remember chris's the most um and so when i started comedy i was like that is what i got into it to talk about you know the stuff like you know you know there was uh there was a lot of observational stuff about and family stuff and personal stuff. But what resonated most with me was the opening about I got on the elevator and two high school white boys just got on with me and I just dove off. It's like, what a perfect way to talk about Columbine, <laughs> you know, and it's like that really kind of molded me subconsciously. Um, and over the evolution of my standup, uh, I think year three or four or five, probably like year four or five, I started getting back into talking about uh, bigger social societal issues. And then, you know, also keeping personal stuff um, uh, to talk about. And that is kind of like the first joke I told, that I remember Chris laughing at while I was on stage that summer of 2015 was about Cecil the lion and like how ridiculous it was that we cared when certain animals died, but other animals we kill all the time. You know, like mm -hmm. I had four, I remember saying I had four chickens today. Um, why do we care about lions? And Chris laughed and that's what kind of 
turn put me to blackout mode and i just went uh i did like 10 minutes of the best set i've ever had um but that was like year five and i was like okay let me talk about what's going on in the world and what i feel people aren't really saying about you know the way society's reacting to stuff um and that that is kind of maintained as a through line in my stand-up if i'm looking at it um and, and what i continue to do uh uh with what i will continue to do with my stand-up you know like i if i'm doing something different if i'm going to talk um on my next album or next half hour or hour which I, I, i've working titles me hindu kush um it'll probably be about really personal stuff about like religion and god and family but i will try to I'm, the, the goal is to tie it to uh, uh larger issues that are happening in the world um sure and, and so short answer uh, uh comedy's evolved for sure but i think what the path i'm on now is is cool um the thing that i'm talking about right now is what i will continue to talk about at least for the next year or so and i definitely uh, get bored trying to make these long, winding, cool jokes. And I will, you know, I, when I, the first, the first year of comedy, I was like really trying to be Mitch and, uh, uh, write like pithy one-liners and shit. And so maybe I'll go back to that. Um, that's just a fun exercise. And when maybe I'll do a entire album of just, uh, Stephen Wright, Mitch Hedberg kind of stuff. If I that's can, funny. if I can, if I can do it, you know, yeah. it might just be something I do just to do, you know? Um, I mean, that's interesting. I, th I think, you know, I've had this idea. I've pitched it to all the comedians on my show. Uh -huh. uh, nobody likes it. Um, but like, you know, I wonder, so I'm, I'm assuming you're What's not going to like it either. Um, well, you know, look, in, in music, you can make, you can cover, you can make cover songs, cover albums. Mm -hmm. We can remake movies and TV shows. Uh, mm -hmm. Why are there no comedy cover acts? <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny. I remember this comic uh, when I first started um, uh, uh, who uh, who had like the same premise of uh, uh, that you just said. Mm. Um, and he was an Asian guy. And like, uh, he did like N-word versus black people, but did it for Asians. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that's why that doesn't exist. Because <laughs> it's just like it doesn't hold the same way. You know, like there's a, a Mark Norman and uh, Matt Ruby uh, used to do the show called Stick or Treat mm. um, in New York. And I think they did it in LA a bunch. Uh, uh, I think Luisa Diaz produced it at some point, but it was comics on Halloween dressing up as their favorite comics and then doing material as they would, as those comics would do it, but not the same jokes. Right. It would be, sure. you know, uh, uh, someone doing the net, but about fucking, I, I can't even finish the joke, but uh uh you know that kind of thing which mm -hmm. i think is funny to me um you know it's so hard the thing with jokes is that they're so concise and so precise that the way they're written uh uh by definition is like the way it, only way it's supposed to be done you know it's like music like it's kind of more open to interpretation um, and how you feel about a song, whereas a joke is like this is this is how the comic intended it for it to be said, and this is this is what uh, the per this is what this comic thinks is a perfect delivery of said joke. 
Um, that's why I think it's a bit harder to do covers of songs or covers of jokes and shit. Um, not to destroy your idea. Uh, I, I, I'm open to the fact that it might be a bad idea, but um, I don't think it's bad. I just think it's a little misplaced. I think, but like, but I think I, th- I think part of it, and you know, I'm half joking that like I I don't know if it's if I'm serious that it would be a good idea, but but I but on the serious side, like you know, we have comics who are who are dead or retired or whatever, and yeah. it means that their material is now gone i mean obviously it's still recorded uh-huh. but you know but it's different obviously seeing it live it's yeah. di- right and so so we have that you know how many people are going to go back and listen to those richard Pryor albums yeah, who, who are not the diehard fans and so that means that his material for most people will be gone and another generation they won't really yeah. necessarily even know who he is right but right. And to your point there's the the race part of it but a young black comic you know could maybe come in and revive some of that um, yeah i mean it, it'd be i mean an interesting experiment for uh uh for a bona fide comic to do you know sure. what i mean like if if dave or chris came out and did prior and stuff it'd be very interesting to see what you know like i, I saw chris reading um uh, Steve Baldwin, uh, James Baldwin James the other Baldwin. day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did like a, he was reading one of James' essays. Like that's really powerful and interesting, you know? Um, so on the same note, it would be cool, but it, it would take a, it would take like a, a, a huge comic to do it. And it would obviously have to be for no money, right? Sure. It, it'd be like a, just an honor kind of thing. Yeah, or it could be a charity thing or, okay. But, yeah, yeah. you know, it's funny, even like, you know, Seinfeld, right? He's still touring, but his old material, he's not doing his old material, right? And so there's, you know, again, there's those, there's hundreds of jokes, you know, that worked at one point and that people are just not hearing today, whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just think that's, it's an interesting thing. It would be, it would be dope. It would be interesting to see like, you know, Schultz or someone do Patrice mm. or, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like, mm-hmm. or like Colin do Patrice or Conquin or, or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Dan Soder do Hedberg or Steven, you know, it'd be fun. That, that would be a, a worthwhile experiment. Um, as I think about it, I just, I don't know the logistics of it all, but I think it'd be cool actually. I believe so it's all you. the comics that said, no, you guys are wrong. I'm not going to put this together. Exactly. Um, <laughs> So, uh, you know, I know it was a, it was a big moment, you know, I, you got kicked off stage at Columbia uh-huh. for, uh, their, I guess, misunderstanding of a joke or their, you know, whatever I, to me, it's like, it's, it's such a, such a weird world that we live in when, you know, liberals become the anti-free speech people, uh-huh. uh, and then conservatives are just raving lunatics. There's like, no, there's like, there's a, you know, the, the amount of sanity love sane people left is just like shrinking i, I you know I, I i don't like talking much about columbia anymore we don't um, have to but I, i'll just say like it was I, the only reason i don't like talking about it is because the only thing i really think about is what else i could have said while i was on stage while they were doing it you know what i mean That's like funny. it's like the classic comic shit like ah fuck i should have said that oh i should have said that should you know sure. like, where, what was the I was, I, my only regret is like, I couldn't 
I was so caught up in being like sincere that I couldn't think of the funniest thing to say quick enough, you know, and, uh, you know, if, if it were me now or me two years from now, I'm sure I would have uh, something pithy or dumb or, or just funnier in general to say. Yeah. Um, I mean, to, you know, cut you some slack, like, first of all, I imagine that's a tremendous amount of pressure you're in that moment. And also it probably wouldn't, they probably wouldn't have got it anyway because they had already, you know, gone whichever direction they're going. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I am curious if you, you know, I'm curious what you learned from the experience. Um, I mean, what I've learned from the experience is mostly that people are willing to run with anything. Um, uh, and won't take a beat to just like think for a second, you know, like even the person that, you know, the, the reason it got so big was because some, you know, Columbia is a huge journalism school, uh, has a huge journalism school. One of the students that was at the, the event was like in the, was a writer for, uh, the spectator Columbia's newspaper or whatever school newspaper. And another journalist who was a Columbia grad, who was a, like a, a right-wing journalist, um, so to speak, uh, saw that that article that was written in The Spectator and then took it and did her own interpretation of it. And then that is what blew up mm-hmm. because she has like 20,000 or 15,000 uh, Twitter followers or whatever at the time. And that's what made it kind of blow up. And I was like, this lady is two levels removed right. from uh, uh, something. And it's so easy to make both sides of what happened seem the victim. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there was no real clear, uh, uh, there was no moment where everyone just paused and like, wait, what the, what, this is a Mm (laughs) non-story. This, Mm -hmm. this is not, this is nothing. This is a fucking, this is just some crazy glitch in the matrix. And I, you know, the thing I think about thinking, uh, a part of me that I I wanted, I should have said on stage is like, you realize you've completed the prophecy for half the people who who think like, this is what's going to happen to college. You know, like that's what I was thinking. Like, God, we're on the same team. <laughs> what, what are we doing right now? And, right. and that was, that's probably the biggest take was like, everyone just needs to take a minute to just chill for a second. And it's like a function of, I said this in the op-ed at times, like it's just a function of how our society has kind of changed to be so quick and reactive. It's like just yeah. taking one. If, if the lady that had written the spectator article or the lady that had re, you know, written her own version of what happened, had just taken a minute I've just been like, this is, wait, what are we talking about? You know, mm-hmm. like, oh, it would have been fine. You know, sure. Jamal Khashoggi had been murdered like not two weeks prior, <laughs> you know, and yet I was the story. Sure, 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 sure. Um, so so I, I think in terms of your career, it was a non, it, like it didn't have any negative effect on your career. I, I can't say if it did or not. You know, I don't know what colleges were lined up and sure. what were looking at me and said no. Um, it definitely, it definitely boosted my profile, uh, for a lot of people, but at that point in time, my profile was not complete or not as 
robust to be um, robust enough for that to not be a defining moment for me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, up until at that point, I I was six months, three months removed from being the first Indian on SNL. I, you know, I was the first Indian to write for the Oscars. I had been hired by Chris Rock. Uh, uh, I'd done a bunch of other cool shit that I thought was, you know, equally, if not more impressive from a comedy standpoint. And now like, now I have the bomb heard around the world, you know, it's like, it was like, all right, fine. I guess this, this is what it is. But uh, I can't say if it cost me anything. I'm sure it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure people sour. Um, I know I was pretty sour about uh, uh, one or two colleges that hit me up saying, hey, do you think it's best if we, you know, bring you on given what happened? I was like, what the fuck, what are you talking about? Um, and I was pretty curt with some schools. Was, and then yeah, those those schools didn't uh, end up bringing me. They, they still paid me, but um, uh, uh, I wasn't, I was no longer a speaker at their school. Mm-hmm. Um, but longer, long-term, no, I, I, I doubt it'll have a much, a, a much of a meaningful impact on anything that I've done, but um, it is something that I'm just like, Oh, it's like, I, I own it now. It's like, yeah, I'm the Columbia guy, but you know, I've also done a bunch of other shit, but sure. But it's cool. I mean, you talk, you know, you talk about on stage about doing jokes for you, right? Yeah, and, I mean, and and I think that's a that is a um, that is a hard lesson for all of us, mm-hmm. right? To to make shit that we care about that speaks yeah. to us, and to kind of you know to to accept the fact that once you put it out in the world, you've lost control over it. Yeah, I mean, had I known, you know. What I was doing uh, that night at Columbia and the reason I have the full set on tape, you know, uh, is because I was recording. I was trying to run an hour Mm -hmm. and I had very little opportunities because I'm not a headlining comic where I can be on. I can headline, but I'm not like I have a billion. I don't have a billion tour dates or anything. Um, And so I was just trying to run an hour every chance I got. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm at Columbia. I'm going to I have an hour of time. I'm going to do an hour. And when I was stringing together a set, um, that joke literally is like five or six years old. And I honestly, up until that point, thought I was the only one who had ever thought that uh, no one would choose to be gay if they're already black. Uh, I, I honestly thought I was like, I was a fucking visionary with that joke. Mm. Um, come to find out, uh, uh, Dave has a similar joke. And uh, Solomon Giorgio Giorgio has a similar joke, and I was like, "Oh, okay." And, you know, it, I guess I'm not the first person to sure. think that. Um, uh, and had I known that, I would have never done that material. Right. Uh, it, it, but it was more just like I have to do an hour. Mm-hmm. I got to do all the jokes I have because I don't know what the fuck an hour even is right now. Um, and. Uh, uh, you know, that joke, I hated it. Um, I hate all jokes after I've said them like a billion times. Like, you know, you know it's just like the kind of thing. It's just like, I hate the instant the joke is done and it works. I'm like, all right, this joke is done. Right. You know, I was like, oh, fuck it. And, but uh, uh, that joke was for me. Um, uh, all the jokes are for me. And if you like them, you like them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I said on that stage. It's like, you know, if you like this, show, okay, cool. Guess it's not for you. Um, and then the pants still hit. 
and then uh uh you know the rest is kind of joe rogan history <laughs> you know <laughs> If you're enjoying this one, uh, let's go back into Rebel Radio archives. Last year, I had another very funny actor, comedian, writer. Well, I guess she says she's not a comedian, but she does skits, um, sketch comedy. Janet Varney, the host of the JV podcast. uh, She also welcomed me onto her show later last year. And um, she's got some great stories to share uh, if you want to go back and check that one out. So let's talk about new projects. Uh, Please. Yeah. So I know you got uh, Zoo Idiots. I saw, oh, saw yeah. that online. Um, Thank you. Yeah. T- I love that Tell shit. me about that project. It was really cool. To, I saw the first episode. Yeah. I mean, you know, when quarantine happened, so all right, So one of my biggest purchases while I was at SNL was going on safari. Um, I, I, you know, my then girlfriend at the time now my wife had put together this trip before i even got the show um i had saved a little money um i was like uh uh, um, okay we we had booked it like a month before i got the job Mm -hmm. um and uh before i got us now a month before and and then ended up happening in april 2018 while we was on that trip we met this guy named jeremy Fast forward to two years, quarantine happens. I get an email from Jeremy saying, hey, do you know any comedy writers looking to work on uh, this project that my friends and I are, are like this learning group that we have that put together? And they approached with this idea of like, you know, animals, how animals must be reacting to quarantine. And because, you know, Venice uh, dolphins were being seen in Venice canals for the first time. And that okay. kind of inspired them to be like, Oh, animals must be thinking crazy shit. And they wanted to do a bunch of Twitter accounts about animals talking to each other about what was happening in quarantine. And I was like, that doesn't sound fun or engaging or anything. Um, it, it could be done, but I don't know if you're going to get your return that, that you're seeking on from mm-hmm. an impact perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause they, th- these group of guys didn't do it for money. They just wanted to do it for, the art or the impact of it all. Um, and by guys, I mean, rich investors who can spend money on shit like that. Um, and so I came back with, um, an idea of why don't we make a cartoon? Um, let's animate something. My friend Mookie and I, Mookie Thompson, like a savant when it comes to television writing. Um, we've worked together for a, a long time. Uh, we teamed up and decided pitched them this idea called Zoo Idiots um, about a bunch of animals going through quarantine uh, at a zoo, and we'd animate it all and produce it all and write it all. Um, and over, you know, what is it? I guess seven months. We, you know, from development of characters to Bible to story to design the characters to, you know, hiring the animator, finding an animator, producing the sound, the music, the voices, getting casting, rewriting, writing, 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 um, all that went into it. Um, and f- we were finally able to put it out. Polar bear. You guys are hilarious. Guys, do you see an itty bitty penguin dick and a pair of snowballs? Take your gendered language and shove it. You ginger monkey bitch. Damn, somebody's hangry. <laughs> Chill out, yo. Uh, but it was really just a labor of love because we got paid pennies um, for the amount of work that we did. Um, 
because uh, it was literally like every it's a like full-time job almost um it wasn't but it felt like one sure um because it's almost all we thought about you know it's the only thing i've thought about for the last seven months has been stand up and uh zoo idiots and then obviously my own pilots that like i don't want to talk about that mm-hmm. i've you know, just written but like the stuff um zoo idiots and stand up is the only thing i've really kind of thought about and that project has been like such an eye-opener and a learning experience of like dealing with it from dealing with executives to casting to voice i became a voice actor over the summer you know it's like all that shit i just kind of learned to do and was taught to do by mookie um uh, and it's a project I'm incredibly proud of, and I can't wait to see what happens with it. You know, it's just like if you're it, it, what I've noticed on my YouTube is if you if you know, people signed up for stand up, <laughs> right. now I'm sure. putting a car, putting a cartoon out, and people are just like, "What the fuck is this?" I'm like, "Look, man, I mean, just because I do stand up doesn't mean I don't do other shit, and that I'm not interested in other shit. And if you like cartoons that have meaning that you." have to pay attention to but are strong joke driven strong character driven shows that might end up on adult swim or some other you know uh network that really understands what the fuck this cartoon is then you will like this cartoon um you know one of my favorite jokes is uh um we're talking about global warming and uh the monk monk the main character goes we're going to turn down this ac so that you guys don't melt like a toddler in a hot camera. It's like, what, like, like where, where are you seeing that joke? Like that, that's the kind of, we're talking about global warming, but we're referencing one of the meanest things that could possibly be said. And like, that's the kind of comedy I like, that's the kind of material I want to uh, on paper put down. Mm-hmm. And if you like jokes and you like animation and that show is for you. Nice. Zooidiots.com. Once again, that's zooidiots.com. <laughs> so, um, you're the first uh, YouTube channel I've seen with the subscribe button. I guess that's a new uh-huh. new thing, or that, not subscribe to join the join button. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know that's a new thing that um, mm-hmm. you know paid subscription to individual yeah, YouTube channels. Um, I, I I I was experiment. I was just like, all right. So I went from a thousand subscribers in March um, to sixty five thousand now. And, you know, my special, the hour that I put out in March, like once quarantine hit, just did really well. Yeah. Um, and that kind of inspired me to to keep it going. And uh, the join thing, I they introduced it like, I guess like a few months into when I started seeing some traction on YouTube. And I was like, okay, like this could be interesting. Like, you know, Patreon is an option um, for like exclusive stuff, but the transition from a, a YouTube subscriber to a YouTube member is a lot more seamless. You don't right. have to leave the yeah, site sure, sure, sure. and uh, uh, you can kind of tier perks and all this kind of stuff. And so I was like, Oh, let me, let me see if I can design something around that. And, and that's why I did it. And uh, it's worked well. I, I wish, I feel like I engage a lot with my members, um, but it's dwindled only because members haven't, been engaging as much with me like they still pay right money to be members um but i'm like i try to do like a high talks or a q a like once a week or open mic uh once a week um and, and less and less people show up i'm like that's fine i just hope you feel like you're getting your roi on the money that you've paid you know right is it um 
is it different? I've heard, I've had other people on the show and talk about, uh, you know, I have a guest who's, who has only fans and, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about like the, the difference in the comments or in the, the relationship that you have uh-huh. when somebody's paying versus, you know, all the YouTube comments and Twitter, you know, people just it, run their mouths, whatever. Uh, the, the, the members are a lot more cordial and, uh, uh, you know, I, I feel a, a different appreciation for them. I, I feel I owe them something different. Right. Uh, I owe them something more, mm-hmm. rather, mm-hmm. Um, than just this sort of standard non-interaction. Um, they're definitely uh, a good group of people who are, like, super supportive. And, and it's, it's heartening to see, you know, I have, you know, fans who are willing to pay. You know, granted, it's only like 5 to $10 a month. Sure. Um, who are still willing to do that um, for access and it definitely feel it, it can definitely feel a little weird um, because you know a lot of the time it's like me doing this, but to people who can't necessarily talk to like we're not I'm not talking to fans the way I'm talking to you. It's right. you know they're chatting or whatever, and I'm I'm just saying shit. Um, it feels a little weird because it it can get really personal, um, but you know that's easy to kind of just taper off. I'm just like oh, this is you know not a question I want to answer or. or mm-hmm a path I don't want to go down necessarily. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, for them, they're awesome. I'm very appreciative of all of them. Yeah, it's cool. And I, I think, you know, one of the uh, challenges just in, in social media, digital media is like, we've made everything free and, yeah. you know, that was sold to us uh, as a, as a good thing for everybody. Cause you know, you can, you can get more out there. You can reach more people and whatever. And it's true. You know, there's, there's pros and cons. I think there's also, you know, that, that generation of the internet missed the fact that we appreciate shit more when we pay for it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a balance, you know, like I'm just like, all right. Am am I at the point where I'm definitely not at the point where I can just keep everything for people who pay for it. Right. Like at least the, 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 the breadth of my material you know, like the personal stuff, the interactive stuff, um, I'll keep for people who like the access to me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I will give to people who are willing to pay a little more, um, and, and who people who might value that access, you know, like the, the 65,000 subscribers, not everyone's going to be like, I, I don't give a fuck about right. what's happening in your day <laughs> or to get, to get high with you, you know? Yep. Um, uh, I just want the stand up or the cartoons or whatever, which is perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, but for people who, want a little more they get it i think um so what's coming up next i know i know you had two specials this year right yeah i mean i put out i put out my hour in march um which i shot i shot that in august of 2019 and that was you know maybe for 60 of what i was running at the columbia stuff so you know Mm -hmm. that like six months it took like six months to put it all seven months to put it all together because i had all the material it wasn't like i was writing a new hour it's more like how do i structure it make it flow and build the transitions in and then run it a bunch of times Mm -hmm. um so i put that i I recorded that in august of 2019 because i put my album out in august of 2019 on august 20th which is my 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 dad's birthday um i was like that's 10 years into comedy um, it literally to the day, you know, I started August 19th, 2009. So mm. the next, when I was 10 years and a day in, I put my album out and recorded that hour. Uh, and then we were shopping it to HBO 
HBO was like, nah, you're not famous. I was like, yeah, well, I mean, it's your job to make me that, but um, <laughs> all right, <laughs> uh, uh, take a risk, but they didn't. And uh, and then once quarantine hit, I was like, fuck this. Let me just put it. People are going to be at home. Like, I'll just put it out. Um, and so I put it out. It did well. Um, and then over the summer, I, I realized I had a bunch of stuff that had been on stage with maybe 10, 15 times total that I really wanted to just say and, and get out there because it was not going to be relevant, you know, uh, after this year or even after the election. And I'll tell you this, we're never getting rid of guns. That's a fact. You can 3D print a gun now. You know that? You can 3D print a gun. It takes me four days to see my barber, but if I wanted to shoot him, I just have to hit control P once. <laughs> and uh, uh, DC had always been kind to me as a stand-up. Um, whenever I got, I recorded my album in DC. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, I opened for Aziz there that week, the week that I put my album out. I mean, the week I recorded my album was like Independence Day week. Um, so the July 1st and 2nd, Aziz let me open for him. And so like, I got a bunch of fans that way. Um, and, and DC had always just been kind. So I was like, let me go to DC and, and see if I can put together a bunch of secret shit and speak easy level shows, recorded all that, uh, uh, you know, hired people to record and found the venue and all that stuff. And, uh, uh, that's out now. It's called Patel 2020, Patel2020.com. Um, and now I, what I did while I was there, I did probably seven hours of shows. So I did four shows, but I did basically an hour and a half each night, almost hour and a half to that two hours each night of which like 30 to 40 was me doing standup, mm-hmm. like the set that I put out. And then the next hour 10 hour four whatever was me i i just lit a joint and uh uh uh, talked with the crowd and i had a bunch of stuff like material that i wanted to see if i could hit or not um but i ended up just like ended up just doing a q a and like the first show i ended up just doing crowd work talking to one or two people in the crowd for like an hour and 10 minutes figuring out this guy's life and everyone fucking loved it second night uh i did like an hour 10 of like the most like heartfelt Q and a, it was just like, like genuinely answering questions, wow. uh, which wasn't funny at all, but it was, fun. It was like, people were like re- in like, uh, uh, looking with big old eyes, like, Oh shit, we can't hear, we're hearing this shit. Mm-hmm. Third night was like a magical night. Cause there was a doctor up front and uh, she was very defensive about healthcare. And, uh, uh, uh I, uh, do not like healthcare in America at all. I think it's broken in so many different ways. And um, having studied it, you know, I have very strong opinions on it. So sure. uh, we went at it <laughs> for for a good twenty minutes or so, um, which was fun. And uh, that I can't wait to release all that. And then Saturday was a slightly different venue, so I did an hour and forty minutes of crowd work, um, just talking to the people that had come out and. Uh, uh, that was a fun night on its own because like there's like it was like a bunch of 23 year olds who were driven from philly um sitting up front and uh, i just fucked with them the entire time and i and this couple that was on a first date i made sure that they would not see another day unfortunately <laughs> it was i mean the questions just got heavy and the guy was just too honest <laughs> that's funny you know? 
<laughs> so, Man, I, don't, uh, I don't know if you ever seen Leslie Jones uh, live, but oh, I love her. She's so much energy; it's insane. But I, I, I've seen. I saw her. I think last year at the out here uh, the uh-huh. comedy store, and she just ruined this guy's night. Oh like no! Screaming. He was. It was like a dude in his forties with a with a like twenty one year old date, uh-huh. and she just. She fucked this dude's life up for sure. <laughs> I mean, they're definitely either married now. Most likely, they've never spoken again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, this couple was on a first date. This group was on a this these yeah, two yeah. were on a first date, and so it was just like uh, a perfect situation. Where I was like, well, look, I mean, you're either going to survive this or you're not. Um, That's cool. But, you know, these are these They'll are have the questions to talk about should... forever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and you know, the guy messaged me like, man, I did not get laid. I was like. <laughs> I was like, my bad, bro. So, you know, it's it's funny because you always, you know, I've heard you say in a few sets, like, you know, you're like, I don't, uh, you'll do crowd work and then you'll go, you know, your answer doesn't matter. I'm just, it's just a setup for a joke. And it's like, yeah. that's actually not true because you kind of get into it with them and maybe you have yeah. a joke, you know, planned, a- but you, but you kind of do get into it with them. But I think it's an interesting, like saying that takes the pressure off. Yeah, that, that's really it's a it's a, just a little device yeah. um, to to get a laugh before I actually do start probing people. Sure, sure, sure. Um, I like that. And there's always, you know, there's always I don't give up too much of the sauce, but there's always an anchor that I could come back to when if it gets too far away. And, yeah. And while while I was high those four nights, part of me subconsciously and consciously was like, all right, let's see how far away I can get from what I had just asked. Mm. And then if I can remember to come back to what I was talking about and, and uh, you know, for the That's members cool. who will, uh, I'm going to, for members, I'm going to put out just the uncut set. Mm. Like, cause you know, it's like, if, if it's an hour and 10 minutes of crowd work, like 60% of it is just like me talking to myself, basically, you know, the, the, the laughs are there. It's just like, sure. Uh, you have to be in the room for that to actually mean something to you. Yeah. But that I I'm watching it now. It's like funny to see me trying to come back to what I had forgotten almost to talk about. And then, you know, challenge the crowd to be like, Oh, you thought I was going to forget that shit. No, no. <laughs> I'm right here, man. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, yeah, well, I got to get to a little lightning round before I let you go. Um, oh, shit, okay. But uh, before I do, is there a, do you have a favorite comedy album? I had Nimesh in Charge um, by Nimesh Patel. That's no, right. Uh, <laughs> um, fuck, that's a difficult question. Uh, none come off the top of my head, but I, I have been listening to uh, prior Richard Pryor live at the Kennedy Center. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if that's the name of the album, but that's where he recorded it at the Kennedy okay. Center um, in DC. And that 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 I've been playing over and over. Um, and then like I'll just I'll just tell Alexa to just be like, "Yo, play songs by George Carlin," mm-hmm. and I just listen mm-hmm. to whatever you know. But so I don't know if it's a full album necessarily. It's just sure. like random bits that you know shuffle on and off. That's cool. I know Live on Sunset Strip for me like changed my life. My mom took me to see it in the theater mm-hmm. when I was like 13. Wow. And, uh, that you was, saw that shit? Uh, you, know, you know, the, the movie. Oh, the, the movie. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay, okay, okay. Um, awesome. Yeah, that's she what they used to do. You see that when you were 13? Oh, yeah. I went. I, I, had, <laughs> I had, actually, my grandmother took me to see Robert Klein live. Wow. Down in, here, down in Long Beach. And, um, mm-hmm. and he, in the middle of it, it was a small club. And uh-huh. uh, and in the middle of a set, he's like, 
we're laughing, me and my grandmother. He's like, who the fuck brought a kid to my show? And he goes off. <laughs> he goes off on my grandmother for like five minutes for bringing uh, a 12, 13-year-old to his show. That's incredible, It, it was man. hilarious. And you never forgot it. Nah, for sure. You, you never forgot. I did Knitting Factory one night uh, like three years ago, uh, two or three years ago, and Knitting Factory in Brooklyn. And uh, uh, there was a 13-year-old in the crowd and no one had talked about it and i just he was right in the front sure. and i was like how the fuck who's what irresponsible piece of shit brought the, you know and then i just talked to him for like uh 10 minutes of the set and his mom who brought him there came up to me after i was like thank you so much he will never forget that moment in his life it's just like i mean it's 100 percent true and i think you know i have i have 11 year old son now we don't mm -hmm. censor within you know limits but basically we don't censor what he watches or listens to you know and uh -huh. he, he watches comedy way above you know his grade level and uh and, and i think that is it's part of growing up you know yeah and and uh you know experienced ideas and, and stuff that you're maybe not quite ready for but it's in a safe it's jokes you know yeah 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 i mean my parents never i mean they were always watching movies and comedy and stuff but it was never like stand-up you know it was, like, mm -hmm. it was mm -hmm. never i was never told go watch a stand-up comedian but sure. this guy's hilarious although my mom loved dana carvey um and uh uh we would watch stand-up together but i never realized what was going on um i never put it together uh and then chris rock hbo bigger and black i was like this is comedy <laughs> amazing <laughs> yeah. amazing okay uh lightning round yes sorry What's your favorite city to travel to? Washington, D.C. Who's your favorite DJ? DJ Cypher Sounds. <laughs> um, what's the last great book you read? I'm reading uh, uh, Kurt Vonnegut's A Man Without a Country right now. Oh, okay. That's a collection of essays, but yeah. Nice. What movie do you think you've seen the most in your life? Bad Boys 2. <laughs> okay <laughs> i love that movie <laughs> nice we just we just speaking of martin lawrence we my son uh wanted to watch house party we watched that last night it oh, is shit. a bad movie but it's fun anyway <laughs> i gotta watch those in 93 yeah yeah it's yeah, gotta yeah. be early 90s and that's where they at least on screen that's the beginning of the the kid and play dance Mm -hmm. um yeah it was it was it's like, it's like a good bad movie you know what i mean i haven't i haven't seen i have I haven't seen it uh, at any age where I could discern what was good or bad. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, fair I, enough. I, I, could only, I could only follow random plot points when I was That's watching right. that shit. Um, the, the money aside, is there a brand that you wish you had started? A brand that I wish I had started? Ralph Lauren. I'm a big Ralph Lauren stan. Uh, uh, if I could afford only Ralph Lauren stuff, I would. Um, uh, I just, it, granted, you know, they didn't start including uh, non-white models in their shit until like yesterday. Um, but also Nike, of course. Like I'm fucking well, Nike. I just read, I just finished Shoe Dog. Oh, that's cool. Um, it's a great book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And, and Ralph Lauren, is a, he's a, he changed the world. You know, yeah, I mean, uh, and 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 I, yeah, iconic American clothing, you know, yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. So.
Um, if you could wake up tomorrow having gained any quality or ability, what would it be? Meditation. Uh, like if I could be a perfect meditator, I would. I would think I would. Be, I think that would benefit all my other skills or the ability to dunk. Um, it's one, of the, <laughs> one of those two things. It's all like it's either super spiritual or very superficial. Okay, I like yeah. that. Uh, maybe one can get you the other. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Um, last question: If I worked for you, what's something I would hear you say over and over? Listen, man. <laughs> listen, just listen. That's the, I probably say that the most. That's listen, man, it's gonna be. It's gonna be fine. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. Dude, thanks for doing this, man. Uh, hey, thank you for having me. So much fun talking to you. Definitely everybody should check out Patel2020.com. Check out Zoo Please. Idiots. Um, I've been digging the Gucci Turban podcast. I don't know. Y'all still doing back. that? It's, it's coming back. It was just on hiatus because I got to get a bunch of I had to get a bunch of ducks in a row. Um, I have another. I, now I have two producers. Um, yeah. And so we're going to really ramp up. Uh, uh, got some cool guests lined up. But yeah, it's coming back. It was just on hiatus. Um, I nice. had to figure a bunch of shit out. But yeah, thank you. Yeah, good stuff, man. We'll keep at it. Um, love to see you in LA sometime, hopefully uh, whenever we're traveling again. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Thank you so much for having me. That was Nimesh Patel on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Make sure you follow Nimesh on YouTube, on TikTok, on everywhere that you consume comedy. Um, and then leave us a comment. Tell us what you thought. Hit us up. At Rebel Radio Net on Twitter or Facebook, you can find videos of a lot of our episodes on uh, Rebel Radio Net on YouTube. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace. <laughs>